Shalom, Mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family, and we're the Mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people. We're the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. Do you remember uh, Tom Horn? I interviewed him about uh, the prophecies about the popes, the St. Malachi prophecies. Well, I've asked Tom to be my guest this week because uh, we have the high privilege of being the exclusive radio and television ministry to be the first to offer his book, and we have an exclusive on it, and the book is called Zenith 2016. And what that title means is something began in the year 2012 that will reach its apex in 2016, and it's been a secret until this book. But before we even get into that, Tom uh, as, as I recall, that God showed you to the point where you predicted the last pope would resign, and he did. And uh, you had prophecies from St. Malachi in which he has been right on what the, the popes would do when they were in office. And according to the Malachi prophecies, this pope, the current pope, Francis, is supposed to be the last pope. Now, tell me how accurate the prophecies by Malachi were now that we know who the pope is. Yeah, and you know, by the way, that's the hot question right now, right? How does Bergoglio, uh, as Pope Francis I, how does he fulfill the prophecy of the popes? And when I did your shows early this year, you know, we, we, uh, we only had predicted that Benedict was going to step down. He did that, and we weren't even sure who the the next pope was going to be and uh but i had said on your show at that time that the final pope did not need the christian name peter uh to be a fulfillment of the prophecy of the popes that he only needed to be of italian descent and lo and behold some weeks later bergoglio whose parents were both italian he's of italian descent was elected as the pope And now, there are some things about him related to that title, Peter, uh, that uh, stood out as very intriguing to me and my co-author, Chris Putnam. For instance, he named himself after St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, And by doing that, he branded himself after an Italian Roman friar whose original name was changed from Giovanni to Francesco di Pietro, or Peter de Bernardone, a man whose name can literally be translated Peter the Roman. So we found that to be astonishing. So the Malachi prophecy looks like it's being fulfilled. Uh, But, you know, when you were on the show, you talked about the uh, Vatican Observatory and uh, and what they're doing with ETs, etc. And you said it was under the control of the Jesuits and this current pope, is a Jesuit. That's right. That's another powerful fulfillment. And actually, we didn't see that uh, coming in the sense of him being a Jesuit, but it's a very important aspect 
of the prediction in our book because we had said that the title Petrus Romanus or Peter the Roman would be a pope that would uh, reaffirm the authority of the Roman Catholic Church and the Jesuits are actually under oath to do that very thing to try to work to suppress Protestantism if you will and to bring people back into the church and ironically this week I read an article where many young evangelical Christians are leaving evangelical Christianity to join the Catholic Church because this rock star pope is so uh, popular. Another connection to that whole Exo-Vaticana, and you still have those books available, I believe, to your to your ministry. We, we do. So they could get those from you if they want to read about that. And those have been best-selling books, so I would encourage them, if they haven't, to get that from you. But in light of our extraordinary expose concerning the Vatican's plan for the arrival of an alien savior, Pope Francis kind of comes into a very unique situation here because there's facts about him a lot of people don't know. For instance, as a young man, uh, Bergoglio earned a master's degree in chemistry from the University of Buenos Aires. He actually had scientific ambitions prior to entering the Jesuit order. Then, when the current leader of the what's called the Borg, the Vatican, the Vatican Observatory Research Group, when the leader of that, Jose Gabriel Funes, who's also from Argentina, when he entered the Jesuit order, one of his three examiners was Bergoglio. So there's a historical relationship here that we're still kind of digging out between Pope Francis and Funes, and Funes was the one who astounded the world with his essay, The Alien is My Brother. Uh, he's the one that kind of got a lot of this theology that's developing in Rome right now towards the acceptance of an extraterrestrial intelligence that could be even morally superior to us, may come here to evangelize us. We may have to change our understanding of the gospel according to some of but, but, but you know what? As big as a bombshell as it was when you were my guest and revealed these things before. I mean, you actually prophesied that the last pope would resign as opposed to die in office. And you told the Malachi prophecies of which our current pope fulfills them. But the bombshells that you have in your new book, for instance— uh, it's so mind-blowing. But before I even ask you the question uh, about uh, the Masonic predictions <laughs> that are in our, uh, our currency and the Great Seal and, the, and what's the future of the USA, tell me what's wrong with Masons. Well, what's wrong, what's wrong with Freemasonry is that it is an occult order. Um, they, if you compare it, in other words, to evangelical Christianity, there's nothing in it that is cohesive to the belief systems. They, they, they will, on the one hand, uh, acknowledge the Bible as a holy book. They will acknowledge Jesus Christ as a holy person, but they only put him alongside, you know, uh, the Hindu gods and other kinds of deities. I just recently visited um, the House of the Temple, the headquarters of the Scottish Rite Freemasonry. And if you go into their, what's called their chapel, their big holy room, where there's a giant throne in there where they have secret meetings, um, there's a table in the middle uh, that has all of the holy books from all over the world. So they, they're very... You might say they were the first kind of New Agers, right? I mean, they kind of believe that you can have a homogenous 
view of God, and any route can uh, lead to God. Uh, they... but, but, but wait a second. I, I've got lots of friends that are Masons, and they're strong Christians, and they wouldn't touch something that would be that way. Yeah, that's true. But you're talking about Masons who are 32nd degree and lower. Um, and, and that... you, you mean the ones that are 32nd degree and lower don't have the same information as the higher ones? Yeah, they absolutely do not. And ah. Freemasonry's own highest level writers have written about this in the past. Mackey, uh, all of their scholars have written in the past about how up through the, they call those the blue degrees, up through the 32nd degree are given limited information, but they're only kind of identified, singled out, if you will, to be taken to the 33rd degree. And it's at the 33rd degree that they learn who the true god of masonry is, which is Osiris, known uh, to the Egyptians as Osiris, known to the Greeks as Apollo. And they codified in the city of Washington and on our great seal and so many of the iconic artifacts that are important to this country a prophecy about his return. And it's actually who they're looking forward uh, to. And as the as the show goes along, we might surprise people uh, when we reveal who some of the people were and are who actually believe that the great architect of the universe, as they call him, also known as Osiris, also known as Apollo, also known in the Old Testament as Nimrod, and probably known in the, in, in the very near future as the Antichrist. And they are very much looking forward to um, his return. And oh. it all stems out of a very uh, aggressive implementation by a small handful of very powerful Freemasons who set the United States up to fulfill a secret destiny, as their uh, greatest philosopher, Manly P. Hall, referred to it, the secret destiny of America, which is to become the head of the New World Order at a time of the arrival of the god Apollo. Yeah, You know, this sounds like science fiction to me, but it's <laughs> happening before our eyes, and I had no idea that the founders of our nation— a high percentage of them were Masons. Yeah, that's right. And actually, that's kind of the core of this new investigative book, Zenith 2016, which you are you have an exclusive to offer that to people who are listening to your program ahead of anybody else. Uh, that was the quest of that book, was to discover whether an ancient occultic plan had been adopted by early Freemasons in the United States who believed in a secret destiny. And they believed that ultimately it would result in this country ushering in a new world order, a new golden age over which the gods of antiquity would either spiritually or physically um, reign. And along the way, uh, Sid, in my research, and this research, by the way, goes back over probably 20 years, so uh, often I would come back to this. I get new pieces of information. Some of the information that's in this book was is the result of a United States senator giving me a lead and actually setting me up with a private uh, visit so I could meet with members of the 33rd. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to let people know some of the things that are in this book. Uh, you reveal secret plans for the USA on our paper currency and the great seal of the U.S., uh, for the Antichrist, uh, you you show the uh, the Masonic 
phrases and symbols and cryptic speeches that presidents, current presidents are using, uh, how science and the government is about ready to produce part human, part animal, killing machines, the 9-11 connection uh, to uh, currency and masons, uh, why the mark of the beast uh, will prevent people from being saved, as the Bible says. I mean, it goes on and on. We're making the book a DVD and a CD on the subject called Zenith 2016 for a gift of $40. It is essential end time reading. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. Tell me about uh, the, the early founders of our country. Well, that's absolutely true, and nobody will be able to read this book and doubt that because we only use uh, substantial uh, even government records to verify the points that we make, how we uncovered members of the Masonic Order from over 200 years ago who were in fact committed to a plan. And by the way, up until this present hour, there remained those who would call themselves true believers in this ancient scheme. And what's even more interesting, and, and that's why the titles, you know, that's why the dates 2012 and 2016 are on the cover of the book, is they even had dates they've been predicting for hundreds of years and other occult societies for thousands of years in which they believed that this occult dream would be launched. So to answer your question, what I did was I started in this research going back and establishing the fact that um, there was an occult vision. And this was a small group of men. It didn't represent most Americans. It just represented a majority of those who were uh, signers of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and at least probably 56 of those who were signers of the uh, Declaration of Independence were Freemasons. And they were dedicated to setting aside this new continent according to what they called an Atlantean scheme. This vision was based on the works of Sir Francis Bacon. Bacon was an occultist. He was an English philosopher. He was an author. He was a Rosicrucian. But his most famous book was New Atlantis, and this was published in the 1600s. And what it did was it portrayed a very specific utopian vision. And it was one that the European secret societies became obsessed with. And basically, it's a vision of a world government, a new world order, that would be established on the in, what Bacon believed was the enlightened grandeur of ancient Atlantis. Now, in Europe at the time, there were really powerful intellectuals, and they were kind of being dogged over there as occultists. And so what they did was they set their eyes on America, the new world, where Bacon's strategy could be unimpeded by those political realities in his home on homeland. This is a fact that is established by Freemasonry's own greatest writers. For instance, Manly P. Hall. He's considered to be the greatest philosopher ever in Freemasonry. He was a 33rd degree Freemason. And he wrote about how uh, Bacon had garnered, the, garnered this impressive following of wealthy Europeans who became dedicated 
to building the new Atlantis in America because he realized that here it would be it was fresh it was unintended it was you know it was beyond the wild west it was just a new continent they could come here they could you know they could uh, take the land away from the Indians all of that and they could establish their great dream of building this philosophic uh, empire now they referred to it and this is partly where we get this language in the United States they referred to it as a new world democracy but this was an occult version of democracy that would ultimately usher in a new golden age wherein men would commingle with and be led by the wisdom of the gods. In fact, when you read Bacon's Atlantis, it's hard to imagine that he's not thinking about that ancient story of the Watchers because he talks so much about us commingling. Even our genetics, I mean, we're being blended with the gods themselves to give birth to a new form of man uh, on the earth, so it's, it's now those that are not familiar with the Watchers, explain. Uh, the Watchers—that's a story that goes back into the legends of every great culture, back to the beginning of time. Um, The—it's a story of gods that descended down from heaven, and they materialized in bodies of flesh. And this is a story that's told from Rome to Greece, before that to Egypt, Persia. Yeah, but the Bible talks about the Nephilim. Uh, That's the same story in the Bible. It's the same story. In fact, I make the case that these uh, other cultures basically robbed this story from an original revelation that was given to the Hebrews. But the Hebrews talked about them. They called them uh, watchers. Daniel refers to them as watchers. Uh, In the book of Genesis, they're called the Beneha Elohim, or the sons of God. But it's a story of these very powerful angels who left their first estate, left the place in heaven where they were supposed to stay, came down to the earth, mingled themselves with humans, and they gave birth to these part-celestial, part-terrestrial hybrids known as the Nephilim, the giants. Now, the, the Bible says it happened when men began to increase on the earth. Daughters were born to them, and the sons of God saw the women's beauty, and they decided to take wives from among them to, unsire, uh, to uh, sire their unusual offspring. You can read about that in Genesis 6-4. Um, but when that scripture is compared with ancient texts from all over the world, the book of Enoch, the book of Jubilees, the book of Barak, the Genesis Apocryphon, which is part of the Dead Sea Scrolls that was found, Philo, uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, Jasher, all these other ancient records uh, tell the same story, that these, these gods came down and they created the mighty men which were of old, these giants that were the offspring of this unholy union. Some of the texts outside of the Bible that complement the book of Genesis and that are accepted in some versions of the older Bibles uh, tell us that they were part human, part animal uh, genetics, and, he, and some even— Well, that's the most amazing thing, because in your book you talk about how our government and we are funding university studies uh, to combine animals— with humans and come out up with some sort of transhuman. We absolutely are. In fact, we should do a whole show on that sometime, Sid. Uh, People would just be blown away if they know what is going on right now in the U.S. government. For instance, I doubt that the average listener to this show knows that in this year's 
operating DARPA budget, the 2013 DARPA, the, which is an acronym that stands for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. It's a very well-known department of the U.S. government. In their operating budget this year, there is millions of dollars set aside to create the blueprint for rewriting the DNA of our soldiers for the purpose of creating uh, 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 what, battlefield super soldiers, but the rewriting of our soldiers' DNA. Why would they want a blueprint to change the genetic makeup of our soldiers? Well, we can get into that more in this show. Oh, okay, no, let's get it. But I, I, I want to know, these early founders of America, our founding fathers, so to speak, why did they uh, design Washington, D.C. based on Mason's symbols? Well, because they were Freemasons and they were deists, most of these uh, signers of the Declaration of Independence were not Christian in the traditional sense, the way we would think of them today. For instance, George Washington's own pastor, when he did go to church, wrote in his own memoir that, as far as he knew, George Washington was a really good man. He was nice to Christians. He was all that. But he wasn't a Christian. He was a deist. Um, and that's true of so many of these other uh, founding fathers. Thomas Jefferson, if, if people want to know why Thomas Jefferson has his own version of the Bible, what's called the Jefferson Bible, it's because he did not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. He did not believe that he rose from the dead. He did not believe that he was a sacrificial lamb. He didn't believe in any of the miracles. He thought that all of that was a corruption of, a, of an ancient text that simply told the story of this great guy by the name of Jesus, and he thought it was phooey. And so he... Uh, how about Ben Franklin? Oh, now, Ben Franklin is another story altogether. He was committed to some very dark, uh, maybe even um, satanic uh, activity. He, I know that yeah, that's kind of hard for people to think about because he was one of the influential founding fathers. Uh, you know, this is an entirely different spin, if you will, of what I've been taught my whole life. I was taught all these founding fathers were strong Christians. That's why we had such a great country. Well, Benjamin Franklin, um, he was he did a lot of good things, like you're saying. He signed the Declaration of Independence. Uh, he was responsible for part of the Treaty of Paris, the U.S. Constitution. Um, he uh, facilitated the American Revolution by publishing the writings of Thomas Paine, who was another guy who completely rejected all of the divinity of Christ. Uh, but he was also, without question, deeply involved in Freemasonry and secret societies. He belonged to secret groups on three continents that were involved in the War of Independence. Um, but he was a master, for instance, of the Masonic Lodge of Philadelphia. Tell me about how Washington, D.C. was physically designed with Masonic uh, symbolism. And this is one of the things, uh, Sid, that just comes as such a surprise to people. People that are unfamiliar with the American Masonic history, just they, they have no clue that involvement by Freemasons in even the layout and design of this city was part of a, a magnificent occultic uh, plan. Uh, for instance, uh, if you go to Washington, D.C. today, you can hire a guide now, um, a Freemasonic guide, who will take you about the city, show you the, the, the house of the temple, show you the 
the buildings that belong to the Scottish Rite Freemasonry, but they will also show you the design and layout of the capital city and how it was shepherded by those who wanted it re to reflect dedication to all of the ancient pagan gods that Bacon and his followers were seeking wisdom from. Not only that, you can go to the uh, government's own website. There's an article called The Most Approved Plan, the, Comp the Competition for the Capitol's Design. This is on the Library of Congress's website, and it tells how, after they advertised this competition for the design of Government Center in Washington, D.C., that George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and the commissioners of the District of Columbia rejected all of the other plans and instead designed a plan of their own that was based on, this is a quote from our own government website, the Roman pantheon, the circular domed rotunda dedicated to all pagan gods, end quote. So our own website, our own government websites admit that, that this is a fact. So now, what does that mean? In very practical terms, in what way was it dedicated to all these pagan gods? This is the part that stands out as astonishing. Anybody could visit Washington, D.C. They can go over to the Capitol buildings. They can go over to the Dome and stand there and look across you know, that field at that great Washington monument that's standing there. What they don't recognize is that this is part of the greatest conspiracy of all time sitting right out in the open because that diagram is well known in ancient Egypt. It is a magical talismanic um, energy creator, if you will. It's a primeval concept, Sid. It was designed in antiquity for only one purpose, regeneration, resurrection, apotheosis, literally for deity incarnation, from the underworld to the earth's surface, through the union of these two respective figures, the dome, which is the ancient structural representation of the womb of Isis, and the obelisk, which is the ancient... Now you're talking about the uh, Washington Monument now. I am. And that's a model, by the way, uh, from antiquity. It's on, it, it, it exists today on the grandest scale in two places, and this is very important, at the heart of the capital of the most powerful government on earth, the United States, and also in the heart of the capital of the most powerful church on earth, the Vatican. And there's a, there's, there's a few things about this, and I won't get bogged down in the details, but they're important that people should know. First, the U.S. Capitol has been called the mirror Vatican throughout history due to the striking uh, similarity between the primary buildings and streets. And in fact, that isn't an accident. America's forefathers first named the capital city Rome. Hmm. But, the, but the parallelism between Washington and the Vatican is most clearly illustrated by the capital building and the dome facing the obelisk known as the Washington Monument, and then at the Vatican by a dome facing an, uh, an obelisk in St. Peter's Basilica, that was actually taken from the biblical city of An that was dedicated to the god Osiris, and it was moved there and erected in the middle of St. Peter's uh, Basilica. And in fact, Sixtus, the pope at that time, when they did erect it and dedicate it, they, he even performed an exorcism on the obelisk to try to cast the demon of Osiris out of it. But in any case, that is, a, that is what we call an alchemical blueprint it is a it's a it's a uh it is an ancient formulae a mystical construct 
for the purpose of resurrecting from the underworld the spirit of Osiris into whoever the leader happens to be uh, in the, at that time. Um, I traveled. I, I got a— uh, and, and, and you say another name for Cyrus is Antichrist. Another name for Osiris or Apollo is the Antichrist. The god Osiris in Egyptian mythology was renamed uh, Apollo in Greek mythology, and that's an established fact. There's a great deal of academic material out there that, that, say, that says that isn't just Tom Horn's opinion, that's an established fact. And what makes that interesting when you look, for instance, at the Great Seal of the United States of America is that you have all of the images are Egyptian in their motif. So you have an uncapped pyramid, you have the all-seeing eye of Horus. These are all uh, Egyptian motifs. But then the, the uh, mottos that are on the seal are all taken from uh, Greek prophecies about the return of Apollo. So you have the marriage of Osiris and Apollo on the great seal of the United States. You see the same thing in the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty was created by the same guy that created the Eiffel Tower, was sent here as a gift to the United States. And in their, and in their own documents concerning the creation of it, they said the body was created to be that to represent the goddess Isis, who's part of the Osiris Egyptian mythos, but they said the head with the you know with the the spikes sticking up off of it was mm-hmm. created to represent the god Apollo. So once again, in these images, you have the marriage of the Greek and the uh, Egyptian belief systems, but they're all talking about the same god. And uh, in ancient times, the obelisk, like you see represented in the giant towering obelisk in Washington D.C., and isn't it interesting? They made that obelisk to be the. And, and again, you're talking about the Washington Monument. I'm talking about the Washington Monument. Okay. Uh, and it, and you could look this up on the internet, or if you visit Washington D.C. and go to the Capitol Dome, you'll just stand there and look at the Washington Monument. And uh, this was created to be the largest one of its kind in the world. And is it, is it a coincidence that it is six, 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 six inches high? Huh. Some measurements say it is six, six, six point zero inches high. And then at the base, it is six, six, six inches wide uh, along each side at the base. I don't know if that's a coincidence. I think there was some inspiration there that may have been otherworldly. Tell me about the secret plan for the Antichrist on the U.S. currency. Well, Sid, it's a fact that the Great Seal of the United States is a prophecy about the coming of a global leader who will oversee a new world order. And just so the listeners know that that's not just my opinion, that's also been verified by Masonic leaders like Manly P. Hall, who's probably the most celebrated 33rd degree Freemasonry, a Freemason of all time. He called the Great Seal the signature of the Freemasons. And in fact, he said that the unfinished pyramid on its reverse side is a Masonic trestle board or a blueprint, if you will, that set forth symbolically the task to the accomplishment of which the United States government was dedicated from the day of its inception. Uh, how, how do we not know this? As, uh, I've lived my whole life as an American. How, how come this isn't all over the news? Yeah, well, hopefully between you and me, Sid, we're going to put it all over the... Uh, Oh, I know that. So tell me about our U.S. currency. This is amazing. Yeah, well, even presidents and vice presidents have verified that the uh, symbolism on the Great Seal of the United States is a prophecy 
about the coming of an end-time leader. And why that should be concerning to Christians is because the God on the Great Seal of the United States, the prophecy, the Novus Ordo Seclorum prophecy, is taken from the Kume Sibyl, one of the most important uh, prophetesses of the god Apollo, who prophesied that at the end of time, the god Apollo would return giving birth to a new golden age. Well, why should we care about that? Because the god Apollo is the same god that is identified in the New Testament in more than one place as the spirit that will fill the end times Antichrist. Now, I said presidents and vice presidents. Um, for example, Henry Wallace who was the Secretary of Agriculture for the United States in 1934. He was the one who brought to President Roosevelt the significance of the prophecies on the Great Seal of the United States, and then it was Roosevelt who in turn pushed to have the Great Seal placed on the U.S. $1 bill. Both of them were Freemasons, 32nd degree Freemasons, but they believed that this was a prophecy that invoked the second coming, the return of the God of Freemasonry. And there's a great deal of occultism surrounding this that we could discuss perhaps on another show, uh, but they were believers. And so throughout American history, you've had scholars, you've had Rhodes scholars like uh, James H. Billington, famous names like Charles Eliot Norton, who said that when you look at the Great Seal of the United States, it is hardly less than an emblem of a Masonic fraternity forecasting the return of their God, the great architect of the universe, which is not the God of the Bible. And your new book, Zenith 2016, uh, it talks about codes, Masonic codes, that have been used by our current president and the presidents previously in speeches, and they believe that when they say these things, it kind of goes into the atmosphere. Give me one quick example. Well, one quick example, January 20th, 2001, President George W. Bush, who I voted for, by the way, during his first inaugural address, he faced the obelisk known as the Washington Monument in D.C. and twice referred to an angel that rides in the whirlwind and directs this storm. So not just the president, but congressmen are using this angel in the whirlwind, which is an occultic, Masonic term. This is all documented in the brand new book, Zenith 2016, the, the DVD by Tom Horn and the CD. Uh, and these facts, you will never, you've never seen them before, but it puts all end time things together we're making it available for a gift of $40. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. If someone felt Jesus is coming a thousand years from now, and he's not coming back soon, when they get a hold of your brand new book, Zenith 2016, they will change their entire paradigm. Uh, what do you believe after gathering all these facts? Is Jesus going to return in your lifetime? Oh, absolutely. I would be absolutely astonished. But of course, if I die and go to heaven <laughs> and meet with him there, and it hasn't yet been, happened yet, I'll be happy about that too. But it's hard to look around the world right now and not see prophecy in every possible way being fulfilled. In fact, 
Matthew 24, 37, it talks about as it was in the days of Noah. And I would challenge anybody to examine what's going on right now in the genetic sciences and not see that we are for the first time since the Great Flood repeating uh, something that happened only once before in history, and it didn't happen, it didn't end very well the last time around. Uh, you're, you're talking about the, the Nephilim when uh, the fallen angels went into the daughters of man and produced these great giants. Uh, tell me about this genetic engineering that's going on. Yeah. Well, in fact, you know, I spoke not long ago at the Science and Supernatural Conference in Dayton, Ohio, and I went there convinced that most Ohioans are unaware how in their state, their tax dollars, in preparation of what's being called a post-human revolution, uh, their tax dollars are being invested. Case Law School in Cleveland was awarded almost a million dollars from the National Institute of Health to, be, to actually begin developing the guidelines that are going to be used for creating the blueprint of a new form of humanity that will arrive by genetic enhancement. We're talking about, you know, one of our universities. And Maxwell Melman, who is the uh, professor of bioethics there at Case Law School of Medicine, he led the team. He got the grant. He led the team of law professors, physicians, bioethicists over a two-year period that ended not long ago uh, to develop the standards for tests using human subjects. Now, we don't know in what way they were using human subjects, but using them in order to create genetic technologies to enhance and alter normal individuals for the next step in human evolution. Okay, but so what's the advantage of doing this? Why are we spending our money? Well, so many, especially those who work in germline genetic engineering, are saying we've invested a great deal of money to try to figure out how to cure diseases, uh, how to create a stronger individual. We even have a constitutional responsibility when you think that we have rights that have to do with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that every individual has a right to lead um, a healthier life, a longer life. And so a great deal of research monies, which come from the taxpayers, are being pulled now into the genetic sciences. And it's for the purposes of creating healthier humans um, per se. But you may have seen in the news, for instance, recently in Britain, where there was a child that was created out of three parents two women and one man. But in order to create that embryo, they had to change it at the germline genetic level. And this was a kind of a line over which we've now crossed that many have been afraid of for a long time. Why? Because when you alter the human species at the germline level, those alterations pass down to all succeeding generations. So in other words, it's not like somebody goes into a genetics laboratory, you know, and, and gets some enhancement that makes them run better. But if they have children, that's not going to be passed on to them. Germline changes, which we're making now, will pass to all succeeding generations. And this sounds very reminiscent of what happened in the days of Noah where alterations to the human species ultimately led to the contamination of all human and animal genetics and therefore led to uh, the judgment of God. Now, you talk about, in, in your book, combining uh, human DNA with animal DNA. Uh, where did you get that? It's happening all over the world. Would you be surprised, maybe your listeners might, 
to know that literally tens of thousands of laboratories, including in the United States and Britain and all of the leading countries, right now are creating part human, part animal chimeras for research purposes. For instance, you could go to Google right now and you could type in, scientists want debate on animals with human genes. And you would find a reputable Reuters news article and it hints at how far scientists have come and how far they intend to go with human and animal hybridization. That, in fact, the article starts out saying this, a mouse that can speak, a monkey with Down's syndrome, dogs with human hands or feet. British scientists want to know if such experiments are acceptable, end quote. And then, of course, the article goes on with revelations. Now, would these transhumans be human? Would they be able to vote? Would they uh, have freedom? I mean, they, these are all some major th things that have to be worked out by society. Something could, could, could would it be possible to have a half wolf and a half man and have them part of a, a military SWAT team? Yeah, well, it's interesting you bring that up. Some of the leading law schools in the world right now are creating white papers in which they're saying that, um, for instance, crime scene investigation, CSI, uh, is going to have to adapt to these new realities because in the future, if you were analyzing a crime scene that was perpetrated, for instance, by something that was half human and half wolf, perhaps nothing we know about profiling that crime scene would apply any longer. Now, we're talking legitimate, uh, largest in the world universities. Furthermore, uh, for instance, the Brookings Institute. This is the number one think tank in the world. It is the number one think tank in the United States that bends the ear of U.S. congressmen and lawmakers. And right now, you can go to their website and look up their uh, Future of the Constitution series. And they're talking right now about your very question, Sid, about how we're going to have to alter and add language to the Bill of Rights, to the U.S. Constitution, to define how the Bill of Rights and the U.S. Constitution could be extended to human non-humans. In other words, what they're saying is we are poised now to begin creating forms of humanity, first probably on the battlefield, and then later on through the whole uh, hybrid age phenomenon, human enhancement phenomenon. We are about to start creating forms of human that are so unlike those that God made that it cannot be assumed that they would be protected under our current constitutional and Bill of Rights uh, privileges. So um, there is a – if a person goes to Google and just types in the hybrid age, they'll find dozens of documents that are coming from the university level. And what they're saying is this, what we already have done to genetically modified crops – what we already have done to genetically and transgenically created animals that are part one animal, part another animal, and what we already have done to genetically modified humans, at least at the embryonic level, we are now poised to enter into a new revolution. All right, but, but let me ask you something. How does this technology tie in with the whole Antichrist system? Well, how it ties into the Antichrist system is that many have believed for some time that the Antichrist may not be entirely human, that he may be something else. The book of Revelation talks about him as he who was and is not and yet shall be, and how that the whole world will marvel at this 
person who once was, and then he wasn't, meaning at the time of the, the, of the writing of the book of Revelation, he was, he was dead or he wasn't on the world anymore, something. Now all of a sudden he's back again. And many believe that this is, uh, implies something that may have to do with genetics. You know, we're talking right now about bringing the woolly mammoth back from the dead. We have the technology now. We really do. If we can find intact DNA, we have the technology to resurrect, to bring back from the dead species that have been extinct for literally hundreds and perhaps in some cases thousands of years. And some think that when we're talking about the Antichrist, that that's the kind of technology that could be used. But even if you didn't go into that part of it, how this is, is prophetic is it seems like what we're doing now was only ever done once before. We only have one history of a time when these, let's call them uh, genetic scientists, came down to the earth in the days of Jared, and they took the genetics of women, animals, maybe more than that, maybe even plants, and they created this construct that we call the Nephilim. It wasn't human, and it couldn't be redeemed. It didn't have a redeemable soul, uh, but it was something into which they could extend themselves. Now, that's, God dealt with that, uh, and it's very clear that the flood came because the Bible says all flesh, both man and beast, had been corrupted. So God dealt with that. But now, for the first time since the time of the flood, we are entering into a period of time where it looks like man is repeating something that only ever happened once before, in that we are crossing over the species barrier. Tom, we're out of time, unfortunately, but tell me about this brand new book, Zenith 2016. Uh, what does it cover? Well, it covers... Uh, starting from the Freemasons to the end of the Mayan calendar, and we go into why Christians should care about what that means, the role of Pope Francis, the final pope. Um, there's 800-year-old prophecy of Rabbi Judah ben Samuel, and so many of these who were pointing to something starting in the year 2012 that would reach its zenith in the year 2016. And the big question around, did they know something? Is there an occultic energy that is operating here to bring about the arrival of the Antichrist? You know, I'm reminded the last time I interviewed you, uh, you literally died. And five minutes later, you came back to life. And a week after that, God spoke a scripture to you. What was that scripture? Yes, this was in the book of Job. And it said that in the nighttime, in deep sleep, in slumbering upon the bed, then the righteous receive the instructions from God and that God does this to hide pride from man. What was the secret message of 9-11? It's interesting because the answer actually has to do with 9-11, as in 9-1-1 or 11, or twin pillars. Um, Sid, a lot of people don't know that when a person joins the Freemasonic order, they have to pass through twin columns during initiation, uh, because in their belief system, what awaits beyond those twin colors, at least symbolically, are mysteries of Freemasonry and so on. Now, that's not just my opinion. Freemasonic writers have written a great deal about how the pillars play such an important role in Freemasonry and the idea that you have to move through them and beyond them to reach uh, particular knowledge. They're even based, by the way, on the original Temple of Solomon and the twin pillars of Solomon. But um, what does that have to do with the attack on 9-11? 
Well, symbolically, um, maybe even occultically, the Twin Towers in New York as pillars echoed the Masonic archetype, where the pillars of Hercules, Enoch, Solomon, all the stuff they talk about, these are gateways beyond which one could travel to reclaim what Masons believe was lost uh, in Atlantis. Um, Therefore, if in the occultic realm, if truly dark powers had determined that the ascendancy for the new Atlantis, the new world order, had actually arrived, some believe that occult magical tradition would require um, an event, something powerful enough to move the New World Order goals beyond the symbolic pillars that you might think of there as in New York, the Twin Towers, that represented American industrial and financial institutions. And this would need to be something that would ignite changes, um, something that could facilitate a universal call for order out of chaos, that it would, in other words, bring, including the United States, to a point where we need a savior. Uh, And so this would be something that would embed images in our minds uh, that would cause us to buy into, for instance, a support for the war on terror, uh, tolerance for diminishing domestic freedoms, something that would communicate to initiates around the world, too, at the same time that the oracular date for the culmination of their new Atlantis had arrived. And so if what happened on 911 was meant to signal those objectives, then it might necessarily be accompanied by appropriate redundant symbolism, 11, two towers, communicating to the members of the order that to reach the new Atlantis movement beyond the pillars had arrived. Now, here's the thing. Regardless of how fantastic it might seem, when you do a thorough examination of the events happening on and then following 911, they do affirm what, a, in fact, what a linguistic specialist, a semiotician that I consulted, first called persuasive evidence of an open conspiracy involving the symbolism of 911, and then later said there is an undeniable occult signature linked to 911. Now, what are they talking about? And so uh, 911 might be thought of in occultic terms as a mega ritual offering. Now, I would hate to think that we're talking here about the people that died on 911, but in occultism, it would need to be something powerful enough to compel the supernatural forces of the nation to move towards these new world order goals that ultimately are going to result in the coming of the god of Freemasonry. Tell me about the events of 9-11 literally prophesied in the U.S. currency. Well, you know, Sid, there's something very curious uh, related to numerology. It's something that could illustrate there was a foreknowledge of 9-1-1 that had existed for some time. It's what I call in the book the U.S. currency origami prophecy. Strange title, right? And it could be that it's nothing more than a coincidence. But following the attack on the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City and at the Pentagon, it was discovered that by folding the U.S. $20 bill uh, three times in a specific way, what appears to be an image of the Twin Towers hit and smoking turns up on one side and then the Pentagon on fire on the other side. Now, producing both of those images simultaneously on opposite sides of the dollar folded in that way, um, 
there's occultism around that. It produces a mirror three, other things that we won't talk about. But but what I did then when I found that out was I got the other new versions of the U.S. Uh, currency, and I found something extraordinary. Uh, and that is that by folding the same uh, – folding the U.S. currency – in concurrent denominations in exactly the same way. So we're talking about a $5 bill, a $10 bill, $20 bill, $50 bill, $100 bill, all in that order, creates the complete template of the attack on 911. In other words, when the $5 bill is folded that way, it portrays the Twin Towers just standing there unharmed. You advance to the uh, $10 bill, fold it the same way the Twin Towers are shown after the first strike. Fold the $20 bill accordingly, it produces the towers burning, and on the opposite side, the Pentagon has just been attacked. Now fold the $50 bill, and it shows the twin towers starting to crumble, and the $100 bill depicts the aftermath and nothing but smoke rising into the, to the air. Okay, just because of time, tell me the tie-in with the Mayan calendar and Masons. In my opinion, Sid, this is one of the most important, fantastic discoveries that we made during the Zenith 2016 investigation, and it was how Aztec and Maya civilizations, they first saw a connection between the year 1776 and the ending date, 2012, and they saw that as the final countdown to what afterward would be a final judgment. And there is academic research that shows that the Mayan prophet who made these prophecies was a convert to Christianity and that he was actually predicting what he called the Christian final judgment. Well, what's interesting about his prophecies is he predicted that in 1776 there would begin a 13-stepped countdown of 19.7 years. Well, that ends in the year 2012, after which he said the return of this horrible destroyer God would return to the earth and the great tribulation would begin. When I read that research, which was done by an academic by the name of Richard Luxton, when I read his interpretation of these 500-year-old Mayan prophecies, what leaped off the pages was that this was an exact rendition of what had been repeated on the great seal of the United States, where at the base of an uncapped pyramid in Roman numerals you have 1776, over which there are 13 steps, which Freemasons have told us throughout time represent 13 distinct periods of time, ending in the year 2012, over which hovers the portentous eye of Horus, which represents the return of the god Apollo. And so I was a... Which again is the Christian Antichrist, but go ahead. <laughs> which again is the Christian Antichrist. And of course, people will have to read the book to get all the information, because what that set in motion was... Not only did I see replicated on the Great Seal identical, these 500-year-old Mayan prophecies, I wanted to know if that was a coincidence or were the designers of Washington, D.C. aware of these Mesoamerican beliefs? And if they were aware, did they intentionally incorporate these belief systems into the layout of Washington, D.C. and the Great Seal of the United States? And I found fabulous, irrefutable evidence 
that in fact they were aware of it, that in fact they incorporated it on the Great Seal. Not just that, even inside the U.S. Capitol Dome, Constantino Brumidi painted the Aztec calendar stone and the frieze of American history that rolled over in the year 2012, and he coupled all of the symbolism together with it. People are going to have to read the uh, Zenith 2016. Tom, in addition to the Mayan calendar and the Mason tie-in, tie it in with theologians, uh, Protestant theologians at the turn of the century. Yeah, that's true. Christian scholars from the past actually saw the rise of the Antichrist system and the destruction of Rome arriving in the years between 2012 and 2016. In fact, there was a whole plethora of them, including the famous reformer uh, Jonathan Edwards, old sinners in the hands of an angry god. Jonathan Edwards believed that the Antichrist would arrive between 2012 and 2016. Uh, The Zohar, which is such an important part of Jewish Kabbalah, prophesied the arrival of their Messiah uh, in the year 2000, sometime following the year 2013. They prophesied that 700 years ago. And so uh, the Maya uh, saw the returns of their god, the Aztecs, the Cherokee, the Hindu Kali Yuga, numerous ancient calendars predicting that the gods would return sometime between the years 2012 and 2016, exactly what the Freemasons also predicted on the great seal of the United States of America. I I have to tell you, the thing that is so mind-blowing to me, uh, I mean, everything you're talking about is mind-blowing to me, Uh, but the half-human, half-animal, the same thing that we read about in the Bible of the the fallen angels having uh, relations with the uh, daughters of mankind and producing uh, these superhumans. Uh, I, I, I'm just fascinated by this information. Uh, how in the world did you get all of this together like you did? Well, a great deal of investment, also just being willing. I went to DARPA. I went to the top U.S. agencies. I found out that 150 human-animal hybrids had been grown in U.K. labs. Uh, I, I just, it's, it's taken me some years, some time, and some monetary investment. But what people are going to find is that we don't use secondary sources. None of these are frivolous sources. It's not just some guy on a blog site. These are all authoritative research Uh, products and materials based on departments from the U.S. government giving uh, grants for research. Okay, our time is up. The book, Zenith 2016, we have them available for you right now. Exclusive DVD and CD on the subject, available for a gift of $40. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.com. Org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. 
For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.